Hey everyone, I am Reva and just want to take a moment and thank you for listening to our studio podcast. Although we are here in Greenville, South Carolina, we are grateful for your support to see the message of Jesus go out all over the world. In case you are not aware, we have a YouTube channel, which you can find the link in our podcast bio. We hope you enjoy this week's talk and it encourages you and it helps you to be the human God designed you to be. So with that, let's get right to it. You know, I'm, uh, I'm really intrigued with, with humans and humanity. It's something that I find myself lost in thought often. We just spent the last week in L.A. with our youngest daughter, <clears throat> Took thank- spent Thanksgiving with her, and we did not have a turkey. We did not do mashed potatoes. We did not do any of the traditional food, and there are some reasons for that. So what we decided to do is we decided to do Mexican food. And if you've never had Mexican food on Thanksgiving, you should definitely try it. It's a great, you feel like a rebel. You feel like I'm going against culture right now. And I feel some sense of satisfaction. I don't know what it is. So, but anyway, we had a wonderful time. But obviously, L.A., the population is immense. There are humans everywhere. And I find myself just, just staring at people. And understanding, hope, guessing what their stories are like. Uh, we're sitting in a room right now where we have people from all walks of life and probably a decent representation of, of every spectrum of what it means to be human. And I'm always fascinated in church context of why you sit in the seat you chose to sit in. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever thought about why you chose that seat. Some of you, it's the seat that you picked on day one when studio opened, and so it's like your seat. And, I mean, you own it, and you get here early enough to make sure no one else takes it. And others of you, you're just glad to have a seat. You don't care where you sit. You just kind of sit wherever you want to sit. And others of you find a seat that's farthest away from other humans, and then others of you are just, you just, that's just where you landed. And I'm, I'm intrigued by each of our stories. And I don't know if you realize, but subconsciously you chose your seats for a reason. We all have stories. We're all in our latest chapter of our story. And I, I'm, I'm intrigued with that, about the experiences that each of us have. I'm intrigued by some of us have raised kids and some of us haven't raised kids. And some of us knows what it's like to start a new job, and some of us are just tired of the job we actually have. Some of us are thinking, this is the best season of my life. I can't believe life is this good. And others of you, this past week, you were in tears wondering if this season will ever pass. I mean, in this room, we've got the representation of so many different experiences And they're all very real. And we're sitting next to someone that potentially is in the opposite season of us. And we smile, but deep down inside, it's troubling. It's confusing. It's this this equation we can't quite solve. And then when we take a moment and look outside of this room of what's happening in humanity today, it's it's clear there is a high level of volatility There's a high level of unrest. There's so much going on in our world today, and I don't know if you've ever really thought about your social media feeds, but on a bad day, it's schizophrenic. And on a good day, it's bipolar. 
that pretty much sums up social media. I mean, one photo, you've got the dream house and a pumpkin spice latte. And the next photo, you've got night vision goggles of a bombing happening somewhere in the Middle East. And then the next photo, you have Steph Curry doing a no-look three. And that's our feeds, or just the human experience is right in front of our faces. If you've ever wondered why your soul is working overtime, there's a lot of reasons why. If you're wondering why you're emotionally and mentally just tired, it's because we are inundated with information that our souls are trying to figure out, what is this? How do I, how do I compute this? And your mind is psychologically working overtime and trying to add up. Like, how come one plus one is not two anymore? How come it equates something else? And so we're in this very interesting season as humanity, but there's an old song from Dave Matthews. It's called Funny the Way It Is. I want to read a few lines to you. It says, funny the way it is if you think about it. One kid walks 10 miles to school another one dropping out. Funny the way it is, not right or wrong, on a soldier's last breath, his baby's being born. The way your mouth feels in your lover's kiss, like a pretty bird on a breeze or a water to a fish. A bomb blast brings a building crash into the floor, and then you hear the laughter while children play war. See, we live in a world where there's, there's so much going on, and... If we don't know how to navigate the dynamics of the world that we live in, then we will, we will inevitably find out what we become of the environment we are in. Today, I want to talk to you about the reality of the world that we live in and its connection to how it affects you and what becomes you and what you become as a result of the world that you live within. Today, I want to talk about this dynamic I want to talk about the dynamic that, for those of us in this room, that we, we've chosen to follow God. And so we've got this, I don't know if you've thought about it, but have you, have you learned yet that your following God didn't make life easier? I don't know if you, if, if you haven't figured that out, then maybe you haven't met Jesus yet. I don't know, but, or you're just living in pure denial. And ignorance and especially naivety. But have you noticed that when you said yes to Jesus, things didn't actually get easier? It's almost like life stayed the same. And some of you might even be able to come up to me and say, you know, life got harder. It got more complex. It got more challenging. So it begs the question, why did we say yes to following God? I wonder how many of us bought into the idea that following God was supposed to make your life easier. And so we raised our hand or we went up front or maybe you got on your knees, whatever, whatever your moment was or your, the decision was, you said, yes, I'm going to follow God because Jesus promises me an easier life. And then if it doesn't work right away, then we're left to like, well, we have a hope now that it will get better. We have a hope now that Okay, maybe not today. There's some things we got to work out and, you know, there's good and evil and there's my own issues, my own insecurity, things that God is working on inside my heart. And so if things don't get better today, then we start building a, an ideology that revolves around hope. 
And the hope says tomorrow. If it's not today, it'll be tomorrow. Well, problem is tomorrow comes. And tomorrow is the same. And we think, well, it's got to be tomorrow. It's got to be the next day. It's got to be at least next month. I mean, at some point, this is going to change. And then pretty soon years go by. So then we have to ask the question, what is my hope in? What is, how am I defining hope in my life? If you're defining hope that Jesus will rescue you, then you're going to get a PhD in disappointment. So we all want to wrestle with some stuff today. This is a great post-Thanksgiving talk. <laughs> this, is, this is one of those conversations. I want you to just, I just want you to sit in for a moment. Not to make you walk out of here with less hope. In fact, I believe it would actually elevate your hope. I think it would actually help to redefine why you said yes to following God. You see, we all want the Jesus that calms the storm. We all want that. But the one we really need is the one that slept in a storm. You see, many of us are living life just, just demanding that Jesus calms the storms in our life. We, we, we don't even want to admit that, but our soul is actually mad at God because he's not calming the storms that we're in. And so we spend our waking moments with this existential quagmire of like, I'm just, God should just, if he was really God, then he would end all of this in my life. And so we spend our lives hoping that he's going to end the storm. But you see, Jesus oftentimes, he only calmed the storm at a later point. But the Jesus we actually need to understand and embrace is the one that slept in a storm. So a question I want you to wrestle with today is, am I trying to get out of the storms in my life or am I learning how to sleep in them? Am I learning how to navigate the storm? Am I learning how to transcend them? Or am I learning how to just get out of them? The challenge is any storm that you get out of on your own, you'll, you'll find yourself back in the exact same storm. Any conflict, any tension, any situation that you remove yourself from, guess what? It will come back at some point. Any situation that you find yourself like, I'm going to remove myself entirely, I'm going to ignore this reality, and you move over into a space where it doesn't exist anymore, guess what? You'll just recreate it here. The challenge that we have in our faith is our hope is largely built around the idea that Jesus is going to rescue us. But we often forget he actually wants to teach us how to sleep in the storms. Between 1987 and 1991, a facility was built in Arizona called the Biosphere 2. It was a, a man-made environment. It was roughly over three acres of, of dome, essentially. And what they wanted to do, they wanted to create an atmosphere. They called it Biosphere 2 because they felt Biosphere 1 was Earth. And they wanted to make sure Earth was kept the the number one category, if you will, in biosphere. So they said, well, we're going to create a smaller one called Biosphere 2. 
And what they did, they created different climates in here. They actually created a rainforest in this dome. They created a desert in this dome. They created a savanna. They created the ability to create fog. How all these multiple climates, they actually created a mini ocean that had coral reefs living in it and different animals and different creatures. And the whole point of this biosphere, the dome, essentially in the beginning was to figure out how can we create and sustain human life on other planets. So in this experiment that went on for a number of years, they found out, they learned things that they never intended to learn. And one of the things that they, one of the most profound discoveries they found was that they noticed that the trees grew a lot faster in the biosphere. In this man-made environment, this climate where you can control the humidity, the temperature, the nutrients, everything, the bacterial world, the molecular, everything they could control, the trees grew a lot faster than they did outside the dome. But the problem is before they became mature trees, they just started falling over. And they couldn't understand, like, why are these trees are growing incredibly fast, but they're not, they're not standing up anymore. They're falling over. So they started to dive into it. They began to understand that the structure, the molecular structure of the tree, not just the root system, but the actual tree, the bark and the density and the molecular structure of the wood was missing something that was outside the dome, but wasn't inside the dome. It was wind. There was no wind in the biosphere. So the trees actually never could fully develop into what a tree needed to be developed in. And they totally forgot that wind is essential and necessary. They actually say wind creates what they call stress wood. That when a tree is growing up in an environment where there's wind, it is bending and it's going many different directions. It's actually creating small fractures in the actual wood. And it actually creates enough fractures, in fact, any wood that had tons of stress wood in it, in ancient days, archers would use that wood to make their bow because there was so much tension in the wood. It was able to withstand. In fact, stress wood enabled the tree to take any shape it needs to take to get the most resources and the most light and the most nutrients it needs to get. It was because of wind. You see, I wonder how many times in our life we are trying to create biospheres of man-made controlled environments. We're working so hard to create a safe space that we're actually forgetting the very element that actually makes you human. I wonder how many times we are removing our problems, our conflict, when actually those are the very things that your soul actually needs to realize what it's capable and its actual potential. We understand that we need deep roots. I mean, it's clear. If you don't know you need deep roots in life, today you're welcome. I'm, I'm letting you know and I'm one of life's biggest secrets. But you actually don't just need deep roots. You actually need environment that create enough stress in you that you become stronger to actually become what you were designed to actually be. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 7. And as you're turning there, I remember nearly 20 years ago, I was a lot younger than I am now and a lot less mature. It's amazing how mature I thought I was then. And I look back and I say, 
I don't think I had any maturity. And I'm sure I'll say the same thing about being this age when I'm 20 years farther down the road. But I remember talking to a friend, a mentor of mine, and I made this comment. And it was coming from, a, I was really proud of how I managed and led my life up until that point. And I made this comment to my friend and mentor, and I said, I have no problems or conflict in my life. And I said it with like, you know, I, I'm, I'm doing good. I'm a good leader. I, I manage my life well, and, and I've got no problems. I've not got, no, got no conflict. And this friend, mentor, looked at me and said, the reason why you have no problems or conflict, conflict is because you avoid them all. I said, you are no longer my friend. I'm going to remove you from my life. Little did I know the next 20 years up until this moment, God would introduce people in my life that would be the wind. There are two right now that are at the top of my list. And my wife is not one of those two. Some of you, some of you are pointing at my wife. I'm like, how rude. Although, although, she can get a little windy sometimes. <laughs> little did I know the next 20 years of my life, up until the age 47, there would be a handful of individuals that somehow they got an assignment from God <laughs> to enter into my biosphere and create tornadoes in my life that broke me at different moments in my life. I don't want to treat it lightly and humorously. I actually want to be real about this. Caused immense pain, betrayal. I mean, deep pain. That I, I didn't know what was ahead. I was never suicidal, but man, I had some interesting thoughts go through my head because of the deep pain and betrayal that I experienced. You see, we never sign up for it. We spend most of our time trying to get out of it, but we don't realize that we actually need to be in environments that create that. Or else you'll never step into the maturity that God actually has designed for you. In Matthew 7, before we read, starting in verse 24, this is at the end of what many consider the greatest message taught, ever given, of all time. Many will say Jesus the teachings in chapter 5, in chapter 6, and leading up to chapter 7 are some of the most profound teachings to ever been given. Some will say this is Jesus' favorite, not favorite, his top talk he has ever given. And it's called the Sermon on the Mount. That's just the name that someone gave it and it stuck. And it's very interesting, the beginning of this talk, now I want you to imagine with me, if you're a Jewish person and you come from the Jewish lineage, you have been experiencing oppression for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years at multiple times. And when you hear a Messiah is coming, what is the thing that is going through your mind when a Messiah comes? He's going to rescue us, he's going to save us, and he's going to overthrow anything that is oppressing us. So I want you to just imagine with me for a moment that when Jesus steps up to the podium, the metaphorical podium, and stood in front, in front of the Jewish people, and he's about to give his first talk ever, and everyone goes, this is the Messiah. And the first words out of his mouth are this, blessed are the poor in spirit. 
That is not a political rallying cry. That is not a message of inspiring you to take up arms to overthrow any government that's oppressing you. It is the exact opposite. And it doesn't get lighter. It gets more intense. And by the end of this opening introduction to his talk, he said, oh, and blessed are those that persecute you. Wait, wait a second, Jesus. This is not the definition of hope. And then he goes on and he starts throwing things like this. He said, listen, when, when they slap you on one cheek, give them the other cheeks to slap too. You see, what they were looking for was a hope that I can slap someone back. They were looking for a hope that would oppress the person that oppressed them. And I wonder how many times in our life we're just wishing Jesus would just take care of business. But we often realize he actually wants you to experience that, to strengthen you, to be all that he knows you can be. And then he goes on and he said, hey, guess what? You need to love your enemies too. Jesus, I'm sorry, you, you've crossed so many lines of my definition of hope. I don't want to have hope in you anymore, Jesus. And Jesus says, you need to learn to love your enemies. So this is, this is an intense talk. So he gets at verse 24, chapter 7, and let's read this together. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine... <clears throat> And put them into practice. It's like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. I want you to underline that. Beat against that house. Not lightly touched. Not massaged. Not having a conversation. Literally beat the house. Yet it did not fall, because they had a foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rode, and the wind blew and beat against that house. And it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished these sayings, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority, not as teachers of the law. Now, I know I realize some of you, if not a lot of you, have read this passage before. Maybe it's been a while since you frequented it or visited it. And, but there's a lot of emphasis on the rock and the sand. And if you grew up in any church context at all, you were always told, don't build on sand. You can't build on sand. And this is why we look at Dubai and go, how? You guys shouldn't be building on sand. The Bible says, <laughs> don't build on sand. Look at Saudi Arabia, and we're deeply confused how it's even possible because Jesus said, don't build on sand. Anyway, that's another conversation for another time. But we're always told, build on the rock. Find a rock and build on it. But Jesus actually lays out what it means to build on the rock and what it means to actually build on sand. Jesus said, if you do practice, put into practice my teaching, which is the first couple previous two chapters, if you put into practice these teachings, you will actually build your house on a rock. And then he said, if you don't put into practice what I've taught you in the last couple chapters, then you actually are putting your house on sand. So we talk a lot about the rock and the sand, build your house, but I want you to notice something. The wind is going to come. We often forget. We often forget. We, sometimes we think our house is built on rocks until the storm comes. And for some of us, we think one storm is enough to prove. Sometimes you have multiple storms that keep coming and keep coming. 
So this passage, I want you to focus more on there is going to be storms that you will experience. And the challenge is we all want to create a biosphere where we get to control when and what the storms are. I'm telling you, that is not real. If you have a gospel that is fundamentally built on that Jesus is going to rescue you every storm, then you are going to be greatly discouraged and greatly disappointed. But if you have a gospel that is fundamentally built on the idea that Jesus wants to elevate you as a human being, then you will learn to sleep and navigate every storm that you enter into or is coming at you. So I want to challenge you this morning as we talk about life and being a human in this world. It's complex. We're trying to figure out how does this work? How come this person does everything wrong and they get the best season of life and I've done everything right and I can't seem to get a break? How come I pay my tithe and I'm in financial ruin and someone doesn't pay their tithe and they are in financial abundance and excess? How come I'm working so hard in my relationship with people and nothing seems to catch? And someone over here does nothing, but everyone wants to be with them. These are all normal human life experiences. Today, I'm not trying to tackle the theological conundrum of why and what and who causes this. I want to help you to think less about getting bailed out of your storms and think more about elevating in storms. I want you to think way less about Jesus rescuing you from the life that you're experiencing and think way more about he's actually trying to build something in me. You see, we all want Jesus to stop the storm, but the Jesus we need is the one that taught us to sleep in storms. There's another moment. I, I'm, I'm going to take you there. It's in Matthew 17. I got, a, I got a couple minutes, and I'm going to take the liberty to put a few more things in here that I don't know if you've ever thought about. And it's in Matthew 17, verse 1 and 3. I'm going to just read it. And after six days, Jesus took with them Peter, James, and John, and the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Then there appeared before them Moses, Elijah, talking with Jesus. Let's stop right here. This is one of those weird passages about Jesus gets transfigured, and it's a whole other conversation. But what I want you to notice is that Jesus didn't take all of his disciples. He only took three. And what's interesting, he takes Peter, James, and John, takes them up this mountain, and God shows up to the point that Jesus is transfigured, which technically means to be different shape, a different appearance. And then Elijah shows up and Moses shows up. Talk about a, a moment here. Talk about a unique experience. And at the very end of this experience, Jesus tells Peter, James, and John, tell no one. Imagine coming down the mountain to see the other nine disciples. And you know they were asked, so what happened? Nothing. <laughs> Yet it's clear, it's clear that something happened. Have you ever wondered what it was like to not be picked by Jesus to go up the mountain? I don't know if you realize the complexity of that, the psychological dynamic of not being picked by Jesus. Some of you remember when you were a kid, you didn't get picked on the playground. 
Do you know that some of the most successful people in the world today are the ones that never got picked to be on a team? Why? Because they took those moments of pain. They took those moments of not being chosen. And it built something within them to actually make them recognize, who am I? What am I? And I think the challenge, and I'm going to speak to parents for a moment. Parents, don't create biospheres for your children. Don't create a man-made environment where you get to control every scenario. You want your child to experience wind that you don't bring. And you don't get to determine how much wind it is. You actually want your child to experience the pain and despair of life. So you can show them how Jesus wants to elevate them, not to bail them out of storms. And the challenge in the middle of all of this, we have something we call emotions. Our emotions are complex. Man, life would be so much easier if we had no emotions. If we never felt, we never felt pain, we never felt rejection, we never felt denied. We just like, we were just static. It'd be so much easier, but the challenge, we feel emotion, we feel pain. And that we, team, we seem to pick two options. Well, I'm going to dumb down my emotion so I don't feel the pain of life. And so we dumb it, we numb it, we, we do whatever we can to minimize it. And that is definitely not working out for a lot of people. And then we have the other interesting development in modern times, and that's around feel all your emotions. Feel them deeply, articulate them, make sure you know what they are. The problem is we haven't added the next part of the conversation. They don't define you. These emotions do not define who you are. And if we don't add that piece to it, we will then raise up an entire generation of people that will be completely led by their emotions. And in the end, when you don't want to experience the painful emotion, you create biospheres. You create world that you get to control. You remove yourself from reality and you create your own man-made climate. So my challenge isn't to just parents. My challenge is to every human in this room. You want to experience the complexities of life. Instead of getting lost in the theological conundrum of it all, get lost in the reality that Jesus actually told us this was going to happen. He actually said, listen, this is going to happen. People are going to mistreat you. You're going to experience inhumane things from other human beings. It's going to happen. And yet we're shocked when it does. So two things I want to leave with you. How do you actually learn to build up the necessary structure in your life to actually navigate storms? The first one is this. Make a determination today. You will always get back up. You see, character is not developed by just unintentional decision. Character is developed by the intentional decision to always get back up. It's little decisions, it's big decisions. It's these moments we have to, you know what? I refuse to let this knock me down. I am going to stand back up again. I refuse to let this emotion that I'm experiencing right now be who I actually am. So make a determination today. 
And the second thing I want to end with is this. Embrace the truth that God is building something in you. Just embrace that idea. I don't know who's causing this. I don't know how this is happening. I don't know why it's happening. Is it my own doing? Is it God? Is it the devil? Is it just broken humanity? I don't know at the moment. But all I know is that God will use this to build something in me to a point that the tree that I'm becoming actually has a lot of stress wood, as they call it, has a lot of tension built within it to withstand the storms of life and to be able to stand tall in the midst of it all. Why don't you stand with me? Thanks for listening to today's talk. If you're interested in learning more about Studio here in Greenville, you can go check out our website, studiogreenville.com, and you can give us a follow on Instagram. Our handle is studio.greenville. Have a great week.